This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 168 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, so um, as you probably saw in the title already, today's main segment features a conversation with Steve a.k.a. Sholey, a.k.a. S. Halley, 2003. I always enjoy chatting with him, and this time was no exception, so I'm excited to share that with you a little later on. That portion of the show was recorded on Monday night. This opening bit, however, was recorded on Wednesday afternoon, in the off chance that the Pacers could move into the top three picks in Tuesday night's draft lottery. Well, uh, they didn't. They ended up with the sixth pick instead, And now, provided they don't try to move up in the draft, that puts them in kind of an interesting spot. I feel like there's already a consensus about what guys are going to be in the top three. All three of them are bigs. And the Pacers probably need a wing more anyway. So their selection is going to hinge more on what Detroit and Sacramento do. And, you know, you never really know with the Kings. Um, I've seen Shade and Sharp's name there a little bit at the sixth spot in a couple of the early mock drafts. At one point, he was number one in his class. I know it's a bit of a risk, but I'd love it if he was still there come draft night. Uh, A lot can happen between now and then, so, you know, who knows? This is something uh, I really haven't experienced the Pacers having a a real good pick, even though six isn't as good as I wanted. I haven't experienced this before, so this is exciting. And uh, I think in the future, it's going to kind of shape some of my hobby purchases as well. So uh, it does relate for me in a way. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I've been a fan of this team for decades. And I should know not to get overly optimistic about anything, including the draft lottery this week. That was foolish. I should have known better. So now I'm just a little salty about that. Uh, Speaking of being salty, last week I talked about this season's release calendar. And as expected, immediately after I put all that together, Panini announced a new product out of the blue. An online exclusive called Panini Photogenic. And as the name suggests, the focus is going to be on photography. Uh, Looks like it's going to be maybe one auto per box with the possibility of some dual autos. My guess is they're going to be stickers. There's also a short print die cut insert that focuses on shoes. Uh, If that sounds interesting to you, go check out that product preview. It's online. I think it's on Blowout. I think it's on Twitter in a number of spots. Cardboard Connection, all those fun places. Um, As for me, I like good photography. I know I've had this running gag you know, that hoop sucks. And I I have people message me, why do you hate hoops so much? I really don't. It's just a running gag that I have on here. Um, One of the things that I really like about hoops is the photography, especially in some of the insert sets. So, you know, the photogenic design itself for this new set seems a little uninspired. 
It's more like a cheap stadium club ripoff. I don't really understand why Panini's creating new products at this point. Who's asking for new products? Can't we just catch up on everything else instead? And then on top of that, the focal point of this product is a basic feature we should expect on all cards in the first place. Good photography. But they've run things into the ground so much now that good photos are supposed to feel like a real treat. It's kind of ridiculous, and it makes me wonder what they're going to come up with next. So humor me for a moment here. I've got three ideas for products I'm going to present to you real quick. And just for clarification, these are 2021-22 products that would probably come out sometime around 2023 and 2024. So here are my three ideas. Obviously, these are not real products. Please do not mistake them for that. Here's my ideas. The first idea I have is a product called Panini Spelled Right, but it doubles as a sticker auto set. So ironically enough, the word right is going to be spelled W-R-I-T-E. And in addition to the sticker autos, the reason that this product is so special is because it was sent to a real-life copy editor to make sure it met all conventions of quality writing. And we're talking both the front and the back of every card, which makes it pretty innovative. This is exciting stuff here. Uh, If that first product doesn't do it for you, you can camp out for the all-retail Megabox exclusive called Panini Names and Faces. And some of you that were collecting in the 90s might remember a pair of inserts from uh, 96-97 Collector's Choice called Stickums. One of them was missing the actual picture of the player. The other one then had a corresponding sticker with said picture. And Upper Deck put clues on the back of the base card to help you figure out which sticker went where. Just in case you weren't really good at that game growing up where you put the the round object in the, the round hole, the square object in the square hole, and so on. So they helped you out just in case you needed it. Um, well, Panini Names and Faces is similar to that, except the players are already pictured and it's the nameplates that are missing. And then each mega box features a big sheet of nameplate stickers for over 500 current NBA and G League players. As the title suggests, it's your job to match the names with the faces. To make it even more fun, there are no clues either because Panini themselves can't identify these guys. I think that one could be an early sleeper for product of the year, uh, but only time will tell. Finally, if that one doesn't excite you, then you can save your money for a new, ultra-high-end product. Now, ultra-high-end, I know that phrase sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? But it's similar to saying something is a super short print. Anyway, get ready for an ultra-high-end product called Panini Wore Out. This is a rookie-only product that features all player-worn relics. And it could be relics that these guys wore out to the grocery, wore out to the club, or it could be something that they wore out to any event that has no significant ties to the league itself. You know, it used to be that player-worn gear was frowned upon, but in an era where unworn rookie relics have become a lot more mainstream, I think Panini wore out has the potential to be pretty big, you know, in a non-associated, non-specific kind of way. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer. Played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, today I am joined by the official Northeastern correspondent of the Wax Museum Podcast, Steve, a.k.a. S. Halley, 2003, a.k.a. Showley. Steve, I'm glad to have you here as always. It's been a few months since we've chatted on the show, though. How are things going? Things are going well, bud. Uh, just got done with some breaks with Platinum. Uh, less hits than normal, but I'm sure things are on the up and up, so I'm not worried about it. But uh, things are going well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you might have gotten a, what was it, a Justin Fields redemption? I had to go dumpster diving for that one, though. Uh, yeah, so if you guys haven't seen it, there was uh, some drama in the hobby today, and that... Uh, I don't know if I can stand to watch another few YouTube videos here on that kind of stuff. So we'll uh, we'll move past that. And we're recording this Monday night, which is one day after Game 7 of the Celtics-Bucks series, or the Celtics-Giannis series, however you want to label it. And um, Steve, I was piecing our outline together um, for today, and I had two iterations ready to go just in case. The first one was more of a Celtics eulogy. The second was a sort of a, a victory lap, although I know you're a pretty humble guy, all things considered, but the Celtics did what they had to do. So now that it's all over, what are some of your takeaways from this incredible series we just saw? I mean, I think my, my main takeaway, Kyle, without boring all the listeners that don't want to hear the dribble, is just it was such a battle. I mean, I I, had, I picked the season seven, um, and it, it proved out, I mean... The Celtics winning Game 7 was the first time either team won consecutive games. It was just back and forth the whole time. It was fun. It was There were times where I wish I wasn't a Celtics fan because I think I could have enjoyed the series more because I was pretty irritable some nights and, and elated other times. And even yesterday, I mean, they, they pulled away in the third, but it was a 10-point game for a while there, and Tatum was on the bench, and you're always waiting for a team to take a run. So every possession in the uh, series, series mattered. And, you know, in the end... The Bucks didn't have the shooting they needed. Middleton being out was a huge loss. He's he's so clutch and he's a great wing defender. So that definitely hurt him. And for some reason, Coach Bud was in love with the corpse of George Hill, which definitely helped the Celtics offense out a bunch. But it was great to see Tatum step up, and you know they they played you know up, up to an eight man bench, and I think every guy contributed. It's just a great turnaround to some of the other discussions we've had about the Celtics when I've come on and we've both been commiserating about our teams. It's been a really nice, nice to see the team come together and they really had a, a great series against the Bucks. but it was, it was a fun series. It was a battle. Yeah. Well, I think between you and Jared, I, I legitimately had a Celtics eulogy ready uh, months ago. And um, yeah. one of, one of the two of you, I think it was, I don't remember if it was you or him said, no, you know, hold off. Things are, are, you know, looking on the up and up, and and I I guess you were right. Giannis looked pretty gassed by the end of that. It would have been nice for him to have some shooting on the outside, and then Middleton, like you said, would have been nice, but uh, was not the case at all. Now, um, as for your upcoming competition here, a couple weeks ago I had Alex on, and we know you know he's a pretty big Heat fan, although he was at the Celtics game this weekend. But um, I told him I thought the Heat had a pretty easy path relative to the rest of the major contenders. They had the eight seed in Atlanta. Uh, they had a beat up Philadelphia team that really lacked major depth. And then they completely avoided Milwaukee. They are, however, still the number one seed. They earned that. How confident are you in your Celtics moving forward? Uh, the Heat concerned me. 
sidebar, I was really glad that Alex was there having a suck in all that all that green love yesterday because <laughs> I know it really really ate at him. And I'm I'm not a huge fan of Heat fans, so that made me happy that one of them was in the garden actually. But um, I think the series is a coin flip. Uh, both teams play perimeter and interior D exceptionally well. Um, both are very well coached, but you know, Coach Spo is he's got he's got the resume and he's going to make adjustments within game. You're not going to find holes that you can exploit for long. Um, they're tough. They shoot well. Um, I can't stand Tyler Harrow, but man, has he had a comeback season here? Ends every bit of that six man of the year. I think he scored like 22 points off the bench. It's just bam. They're, they're just a very deep team, and if both teams are healthy, I think it's a six to seven game battle and. Um, honestly, it's a coin flip. I'm going to pick the se- season six just because obviously I'm a homer, but I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be good watching. I think it's going to no. be a lot of half court, you know, work the defense for an open three point and a three point shot. And I think there's going to be some games where it's just bricks, bricks, bricks because the legs are tired. I don't think it's going to be good basketball, but as a fan of the Celtics, unlike the Bucks, where I didn't want to be a fan and could have just enjoyed it more, I can't wait for the roller coaster of just hating every ounce of the heat and just rooting against them and and seeing how it goes but it's it's a coin flip it's going to be a tough battle yeah i've uh i've hated the heat for a long time uh so i'm ready for this as well though i am a little concerned that um this last that boston series was so physical mhm you got two career games out of al horford And um, you had guys like, you know, Williams and Smart were absorbing all these charges from Giannis. I I don't know. uh, I don't know if they've got more of that in them. So anyway, we'll we'll see, though. You know, that's not for me to determine the uh, luckily the games play themselves. So let um, me let me ask you a question, though. Yeah. So your boy Depot's on the heat. He got what he wanted. How are you going to feel watching that? Uh, Not good. You know, I'm petty. So I've had people that have been very critical of my uh, dislike of Paul George and Oladipo. Um, But, you know, it it especially stings because he's doing all these interviews now where he said, you know, everyone doubted me. Everyone did this. Everyone did that. It's like, no, actually, uh, the Pacers saw you through a a brutal injury and rehab and then offered you a hundred million dollars and you decided that (laughs) you didn't want to be here. And I know technically, yes, they, you know, they traded him, but he was, it was pretty clear that he didn't want to be here. So the whole everyone gave up on me thing, I'm not buying that at all. And uh, I actually feel like we dodged a bullet now, not paying him a hundred million dollars where I, I was a huge Victor fan. You know, I, that 2017 run that they made where the Pacers were expected to win like 30 games and then they took LeBron to seven. Uh, yeah, that's as about as opposite as you can get there. So uh, I'm I do not want to see Victor Oladipo be successful here. And yes, I know that makes me sound petty. I'm sorry. I wish Damian Lillard like was it. here to hit a, a game winner over him from 40 feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, now your Western team, because we got to talk about the other side of the playoffs here. Your Western team, the Suns, didn't fare so well. And that's probably putting it kindly. We won't we won't focus all of our energy here on Game Seven. Um, I guess let's talk about Crowder instead. And um, I remember watching Jay Crowder from a distance for pretty much his entire career, save for maybe his college days. I follow him a little bit closer now, thanks to you. Uh, but I have to ask, and and this is some stuff that's kind of come, you know, previous playoffs and now current playoffs as well. I have to ask, at what point during his career did Jay Crowder become this? 
master agitator. I don't remember seeing a lot of that pre-Phoenix. Maybe it was there and I just missed it. Yeah, I think it was there, but he didn't have to play that role. You know, when he was with Boston, they were an up-and-coming underdog team, right? Brad Stevens was new to the scene and they weren't, you know, they were led by like Kelly Olynyk and junk like that. Um, and prior to Al Horford coming to town, they were they were just this energized up and coming team, and um, they were always the underdog, and they over they overachieved. I really think it was when he went to Miami and was really given the role of a true three and D. And you know, there's guys in the league that do this; they see where they can make a living in the NBA, right? So mm-hmm. I think he learned where his limitations are and what he can bring to a team, and that's toughness and I think a lot it's come to fruition more in Phoenix because I think he not saying anything against Booker but I think he wants to take some of the pressure from the fans and the other team off of a guy like Booker mm-hmm. and takes on that role so he can be hit his open threes swing the ball around play tough D and if there needs to be a change of energy or if people are putting their you know hard fouls in a different direction, then he will absorb that for their team. And I think he's just found a role in the league that will not many guys play 10 years in the league, right? And he's going right. to be a 10 to 15-year player, and he's found that role. So I really think it's as he went through the growing pains, he took on a veteran role in Memphis and then the trade to Miami, get him you know, back in with, with Butler and then taking on the role with um, the Suns. I think he's just developed it over the last several years but he's always been a pain in the ass i mean he that's he was always a a nudgy guy that would get under you know people's skins and would would look for that you know passive aggressive stuff he's just more overt about it now well while we're on the topic of crowder i guess it only makes sense then to get a collection update uh last week i talked some about this year's release calendar and uh, i tried not to be such a debbie downer about things Uh, you know it's just not a good year when it comes to new releases I know Crowder made it into Hoops and Donruss and Elite, and I think even the sticker set so far. Um, and you and I talked about as Elite in part of our last conversation. Has he made it to any of the other new checklists this year? No, no, not, he hasn't. I'm assuming the next one will be Prism because he's been in every year of Prism, but he's not been in like Court Kings or Crown Royal or anything like that. Uh, speaking of Court Kings... Since you mentioned it here, you know, one of my (laughs) PC players made it into Court Kings, uh, kind of. I think I sent you this picture yesterday, didn't I? You did, yeah. Okay, so I'll explain it here for the listeners at home. Uh, Ron Artest has his first Pacers autograph um, in a Panini product, which that in itself was kind of exciting to me. I saw the name on the checklist, except it wasn't his name. Uh, well, kind of. He's listed as Meta World Peace, which is a name that he never used in Indiana. And the stickers that they used are Meta World Peace stickers, too. Um, he's had sticker autographs and Panini products from 2009 to somewhere around 2013. And all of them I remember seeing were Ron Artest autos, um, even after he changed his name to Meta World Peace. So, you know, when I saw his name on the checklist, I thought they might be dumping old stickers, but now I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm wondering if if they didn't have Ron Artest or, well, Meta sign new stickers and maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some clause where they have to use his current legal name. Um, Although he does private signings where he'll sign any number and name that he's depicted as. I don't know. It's kind of messy. What were your thoughts on that? Honestly, my only thought was the Carlo Tarable. I (laughs) don't remember when he changed his name, so I had to ask you about that. And then I looked at the auto and it looks like he's just signing his initials and 
MWP, it made me think that, hey, it's not that far away from uh, Wax Museum Podcasts, a little abbreviation. It's, that's that's really all I thought about. Yeah, it's one <laughs> it's, of it's those cards. It's a pretty hideous looking auto. Yeah, it's one of those cards. You know, I Court Kings used to be amazing. I've, I've said this many times before. Uh, the on-card autos of Court Kings were a major draw. Um, this, like you said, is hideous. Uh, by all means, I should stay away from it, but um, I'm just strangely attracted to it. Just because of, you know, it's the first Ron Artest or the first meta autograph in a Pacers uniform and on a Panini card. That seems pretty significant to me since I collect them, probably to nobody else. But yeah, it's ugly. Anyway, I guess we veered down that path. We're talking about new PC cards. Uh, let's bring this back to your guy, Jay Crowder, here. Uh, and then maybe we can talk about some new mail in general. Have you picked up any new Crowder stuff lately? I could, but I'm not even going to talk. I'm not going to talk about most of it because to your point, the re- I enjoy the chase. Like I was updating my spreadsheet earlier and putting stuff in binders. I was having a ton of fun with it. I've gotten a lot of different cards with different textures and different colors of him dribbling the basketball, right? Like it's just been the releases for the last few years. So nothing enjoyable there. Um, but an interesting one that I grabbed was, and I actually posted, so today's Monday. So I just posted on my social media, grabbed a 2015-16 threads um, gold parallel out of 25, which sounds like nothing. But that's a card I've been searching for since that product came out to finish the rainbow. And interestingly enough, one popped up on eBay, did the standard shipping envelope, which always encourages me to bid. So I threw in a bid, one for the lowest bid. The day after I bid, one threw, one showed up on Card Hobby, which is that Asian um, Kato 54 site. So mm-hmm. within 48 hours, two copies showed up for the first time in probably five years. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So I grabbed one of those recently. Yeah, that seems to be the way it works. That same thing yeah. happened to me. I, I, and then I ended up buying three of the Ron Artest uh, Upper Deck <laughs> yeah, Immaculate because uh, I just don't have that kind of self control. You know, when you, when you don't see something for so long, and then three of them pop up, you just feel like you have to buy all three of them for whatever reason, or at least I do. Um, sure. So, any other pieces of mail? Maybe, maybe a non Crowder piece of mail you want to talk about real quick. Yeah, one that I got, one that I got that I'm really, it's actually in transit to me right now that I'm really excited about, just because I won the auction. Was uh, it's a 2014-15 Lux um, out of ten Paul Pierce uh, patch. It's a large, chunky piece of the number patch from his year with the Washington Wizards, which was my second favorite Pierce team. Um, and there's very few Wizard stuff, um, so Lux. If people can't picture it, I'll throw it up on my social media. But they used a great blend of colors textures and die cuts that year and their patches are really large just stuff that you don't get these days um anymore so really excited about that one and looking forward to to whenever that mail shows up so why do you um why do you prioritize the wizards over who else what the nets and clippers right yeah because i hate the nets okay um the Wizards more so just for personal uh, memories. Like my wife and I, right before we had kids, our last vacation was to go down to D.C. And it happened to be to uh, time out when the Celtics were going down to D.C. to play. So the, we went down to see the Celtics in D.C. Pierce was there, um, you know, playing for the Wizards, obviously. So I have some personal connections to that. And he also had a pretty good run with the Wizards. He was sort of went there as that veteran leader to, to help build up Wall and Beal and they just had a good team. They were fun to watch. He crushed the Raptors in the playoffs with a dagger um, off the backboard to win a game. And he just had a good run, whereas the Nets were underwhelming and that was just a bad experiment. And the Clippers were, he was well past his prime and just sort of 
more Doc's assistant coach at that time than really having an impact on the team. Yeah, the Nets thing was uh, build up kind of big and you know, mm-hmm. obviously did not work out. It worked out great for you guys in that you got the, the yep. Tatum pick out of that. So anyway, I recorded the intro of this episode separately because I wanted to wait until the draft lottery results were in. So uh, I'm just going to, uh, we're just going to hope that they're great here, which you'll know by my intro whether they were or not. Uh, but I held off on my mail as well because it was just one card. And I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because you are a, a fellow team collector. Although I think we do this a little bit differently. You're not out there, or at least I don't think you're out there scouring the web for rare Daniel Tice cards. Um, no. And that's fine. But um, I like to have a jumbo Pacers patch for every Pacers player possible. Uh, now, if they don't make one, I'm not going to go get an old team. Like, I'm not going to have any Jeremy Lamb Rockets patches. But um, Bojan Bogdanovic never had a Pacers patch with a Pacers picture. And he's had a couple of uh, small patches. Like, he had a couple of the tie-dye patches where he's pictured as a Pacer, but it was old net stuff. Um, and then they did a select dual patch last year that had both Nets and Jazz pieces, although he, he played in Indiana in between. They did, however, have one jumbo patch from Noir, numbered to 10, uh, where he's pictured on the Jazz, but it uses part of a Pacers uniform. Although it's not a real nice piece. But anyway, it, it is a Pacers piece, and it even says so on the back. It's what I would call a Frankenstein card. And I don't know if that's the official term, but that that's what I call it. He's got one one team pictured and then another team's material. So this thing comes in the mail, and I didn't even open the bubble mailer for a day or two. And that that's kind of your sign right there. That's a real bad spot to be in with a card. And I finally opened it up and I said to myself, you know, uh, I don't like this card. Um, but there, there's also a part of me that doesn't want to get rid of it, which I won't, you know, for I paid very little for it. But um, it's the closest thing to a Pacers patch he's ever had. So I'm going to keep it, but it, it's kind of the whole thing's kind of gross. And I, I know I just talked for a long time there, so I want to stop and give you a chance to, as a fellow team collector, can you offer up some of your thoughts for me? Yeah, so I'm, I, I, I do the same thing. Like, I do like to have a patch card, especially, you know, you and I were talking offline last night. Panini's done a great job with relic cards. They really have, I think, you know, better than any of their predecessors. So I do chase patch cards of, of players when I can get them. And my criteria, and it's very subjective, is, it has to be a set that I really like and a quality patch, you know. So um, a 13-14, I didn't win it because it went higher than I wanted to, but like a 13-14 uh, gold standard white gold, I think they're out of 10, Pierce patch just sold on eBay. It's a Nets uniform, it's a Nets card, but I just, I love that set. If you've ever held one of the black golds or white golds in hand, they, they really pop and it was a big chunky patch. So, you know, there's not too many Celtics players that, have transition teams and only been here for a short period of time to, that they would have grabbed a jersey and reused it. Um, but you find if they if they ever wanted to use up some of the Shaq jersey, I know you showed off in your YouTube video that Shaq jersey. Mm-hmm. If they stuck one of those in a no, not a Lakers, uh, a Magic or a Suns or something card, but it was a big chunk of that Celtics jersey, I'd pick it up if it was a good looking card for sure. But um, definitely doesn't not a high priority. In, I like that they put the that they identified as a Pacers jersey on the back, but then my question is where where's the rest of the jersey, right? Like, right? They gotta have they gotta come up with something eventually. It's gotta be there, but well, um, why? Yeah, why wasn't he in the throwback set in select? Right. That's what I don't understand. Right. 
Um, so that tells me we are we are due for a lot of Frankenstein cards, especially with the license mm-hmm. running out here. I wish they could just do them all as retro cards. You know, make a jumbo retro set where you know. I know Panini's done it in the past where it was called like Rookie Year Threads or something like that. Yep. I, that wasn't yep. the exact name, but um, they you know they pictured Duran as a Sonic and they actually had Sonic's patches for him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you know maybe we'll get something like that toward the end, but. Uh, neither one of us have a whole lot of confidence in Panini. Okay, uh, before we move into some listener questions, I'm going to play this week's installment of Collector Classifieds, and then the two of us can weigh in a little bit. Hey, it's Jeff, a.k.a. Coach ITB, uh, just giving a call out uh, for all you breakers that are hitting Uh Feel free to hit me up. Um, if your price is reasonable or if you got a coach in your junk box that's serial numbered pre-Panini, uh, definitely would be interested in uh, taking a look at it. Uh, feel free to reach out to me, Blowout, Instagram, wherever. Uh, thanks in advance. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I put out an open invitation for anyone that wanted to record a classified for the show. My only requirements were, one, they actually listen to the show, and two, that they're not a cardboard creeper. So Jeff responded to this, and I know he definitely listens to the show. Uh, I don't think he's a cardboard creeper. He probably deserves our sympathy, though, because his player is in the new Topps Finest set, and uh, it likely blew up all of his eBay searches. Steve, what are your thoughts on it, be it Jeff or Coach, or uh, what do you think we can do to help him out for his PC here? You know, it's I, I feel for Jeff, it, it's tough to find those rare rare hidden gems of a hall of famer right everyone wants to collect those hall of famer cards and and he's he's chasing one of those one of those greats but um no i mean jeff's a great guy and he is on every platform searching for cool coach cards um i think it's just as people are out it shows that's the type of guy that's going to be in a bin right just because he wears mm-hmm. a bulls uniform he's going to be and he's from the 90s he'll be in those bins so keep an eye out for those those cards that maybe are from sellers that don't use social media as much and if you find something reach out to Jeff cuz he will um he'll make the deal right for you yeah and and really um i mean i know panini has done all of the bulls stuff seems like endlessly here and they've done some of the hawk stuff they've done some of the other ku coach teams as well don't forget about that early 2000s uh, or like more like mid 2000s upper deck stuff. A lot of buck stuff out there. Tops as well. I know he's needing the tops total gold, uh, which I have tried to find for him for who knows, at least five years now, probably more than that. Um, no luck so far, but Jeff, hang in there. We will find that stuff for you. All right. Uh, earlier this weekend, I asked people if they had any questions for you specifically, Steve, and you've been on this show enough now that I think you're entitled to your own little mailbag segment. So um, our first question that I got is fitting here because I'd planned on doing an ad read at some point in our conversation. So this one comes from Carter, who's been on the show before, uh, MC Basketball PC on Instagram. Carter wrote, you two are the biggest ComC users I know. I'd love to hear you discuss your process for submitting cards to ComC How do you decide, one, when to submit cards, two, what kind of cards to submit, and three, how you ship? So I'll let you tackle those here first, Steve. Um, I'll start with when do I decide to send cards, and really it's when I have enough time to go through them. Um, I don't plan, unless it's going to be 
a promotion, which I'll take advantage of, and you can hit on that if you want to. But um, it's really just when do I have time because I never, very rarely do I send 10 cards at a time. It's usually going to be in the 50 to 100 card range. Um, so it's really just a matter of having time to go through some of the stuff. I, I try to set it aside as I go. So if I'm clearing out a binder, if I have a set I'm not going to follow through with completing, I'll, I'll put the, the key cards aside. Um, but usually I have to dig through my boxes, decide what I'm ready to move on from, what I want to consolidate, and it takes time. So I usually spend probably two to four hours, you know, from start to finish, and that's if I'm well organized going into it. Um, so I don't, I don't align with playoffs. I don't try and, you know, oh, take six weeks to th- for it to hit my account. So that'll be when the start of the season is. I just, I'm, I'm very fluid when I send it through. Um, how do I choose what cards to send? That's a good question, Carter, and it's it's changed a lot over the years. It used to, for a while there, it was my only platform for selling. It was just very convenient for me. Um, I've started to do a little bit more on social media. I've gone back to eBay a little bit. Um, I've been setting up at some shows recently, so I'm really more into. I'll pretty much keep everything aside for a show setup, even if I'm not going to set up for three or four months, and then. If I bring it with me three or four times and it doesn't move, then that'll get set aside. And I try to send any card that is going to sell generally over $2 and probably less than 75 But that's that's flexible. If there's if I get a bunch of cards and they're $1 cards and maybe they're a new release or something and no one else will have them on Com C, I'll send them through and pay the 50 cents and make 50 cents on them, right? That covers the cost of submitting some of the other cards. But I try to stick to like a $2 minimum. Um, and if it's a really popular card, like a second year Giannis Prism, right? I'll check the ComSeq um, inventory. And if there's 350 of a card, I'm not going to bother to send it um, unless I can set it as the lowest price and still make a buck or so. Um, because you got to account for your time and everything. So that's that's kind of how I choose to send. And, and it's, I think the final question was shipping. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I will fill like the 100 count boxes and put them in a medium sized flat rate box from the USPS and I'll send that with insurance. Every now and then I've gotten, um, I've taken the risk of just packaging up that 100 count box with a good amount of tape and slapping a label on that. And that's worked out fine, but that's always a little nerve wracking because you don't have much to protect the cards. Um, and I penny sleeve every other card. Um, that way they're all protected against each other without using up all of my supplies. Okay, yeah, I hadn't actually thought about the every other card thing, so that's interesting. Um, as far as when to submit cards, uh, there are probably guys that do this a lot more strategically than we do. Um, Steve mentioned the promos. That's kind of when I choose to send stuff in. So, you know, I might only send in 100 cards a year. And, um, you know, the rest of my ComC activity is just kind of using those funds to buy and sell on ComC. Nothing huge, but just trying to make some flips here and there. Um, And then similar to Steve, it'll be stuff that doesn't sell at a card show in person. Like anytime I get something Jason Williams, it's not going to sell in person. And then I know I can throw it on ComC for probably three times what I was asking at a show and it'll sell. Um, So it's just a matter of figuring out what players move to a a broader market. uh, And I kind of go with that. And um, I don't I try and send things that are, you know, five dollars and above for right now. And I know everyone's a little bit different about that. I don't do a lot of the cheaper stuff, but um, that's kind of my approach. 
And then as far as shipping, sometimes I'll even put them just in a slider box with no penny sleeves if it's stuff that uh, I don't think is too condition sensitive or stuff that's going to get scratched up too much. Uh, otherwise, I'll put them all in penny sleeves. And, and I need to do what you did every other one, but I'll put them all in penny sleeves and put them in some type of a row box or like a hundred count box. And a lot of times put that inside of another box then. Um, because I'm always scared about stuff getting damaged, not from ComC necessarily, but from our good friends at the uh, USPS. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's how we utilize the site. Before we move on, I do want to mention another way real quick you could potentially use the site. Just so you guys know, ComC continues to offer 50% off processing fees for all newly released trading card consignments with their ComC Fresh Pulls program. To qualify, cards must be received within 90 days of the hobby release date and submitted using the Elite, Select, or Mailbox Processing Service level. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Okay, the next two questions then come from Josh, a.k.a. Mitten State Collector, who we've heard on one of the Collector Classifieds. And he asked um, if Steve could make any Celtic player without a ring part of a championship team, who would it be and why? He said it couldn't be current players. And then the second question is, if the Boston NBA franchise could no longer be named the Celtics, what mascot would we want to replace that name? Uh, And then he asked uh, that I respond as well. So Steve, we'll go with you first here. Uh, What Celtic player would you give a ring that never got one? That's not a current player. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm going to be a little long-winded with this one, so I apologize. But this one, this I found interesting. And this, I spent more time on this one than I did the second one from Midden. Um, You know, part of it is just to sound like a spoiled sports fan. There's very few players from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that don't have a ring that I would would root for, right? Um, So then you go to the 90s and half, at least half of the 90s, I just would never want those teams to win because you've got... Rick Pitino leading the helm and just don't would never want him to win. So I think of guys like Reggie Lewis, D Brown that I was big fans of as a kid, but they didn't resonate with me the same way. I thought of a guy like Chuck Cooper, who was the first African-American ever drafted um, by the NBA. But I, I really settled on um, someone that I think is going to be a bit of a curveball, someone that's only played that only played 26 games for the Celtics. Um, and that'd be pistol Pete Maravich. He was one year away. He did everything he could to, sign that second contract and come back for the 80-81 season. And of all things, it was a meniscus injury in the late 70s that he just, his body couldn't do it anymore. And he had to retire one year away from what ended up being a championship season. And if you followed anything about his biography or his career, you I think you, you recognize what that would have meant for him. And I think honestly meant for the league too, if he was in that, that ring of honor of being an NBA champion. So that's, that's a Celtic that I would have liked to add into a championship team. Okay, so actually... Well, let me. I'll run you through my thought process here and my answer for the question. Um, I'm not a Celtics fan, obviously, so I wanted to approach it more from the perspective of legacy. Um, you know, like you mentioned, all of the 50s, 60s guys, those guys pretty much got one. Uh, one, if not eight, right? And yeah. uh, <laughs> so then I, I went to guys that played there past their prime that never won one, and my the two that I started with were actually Maravich and then Dominique Wilkins. Um, and I, you know, I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't think a Celtics ring would do much for them. I thought about Reggie Lewis. I, I don't really have any connection to him. You know, I look at the other options. It's like Antoine Walker or like Dino Raja. So I actually, uh, I said mine was Pete Maravich as well. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I, you know, I'm a vintage guy and I, I don't associate Pete much with the Celtics, but just kind of by default, I just didn't feel like there were any other options. Yeah. Um, now let's That's say fair. if they had to play for a team that wasn't named the Celtics, let's uh, tackle that question here. What mascot or what team name or whatever would you want to replace that name? So I'm going to be honest with you. I put very little thought into this one only because it was a chaotic day at work. And obviously I wasn't looking at my email much while watching the seas yesterday. So my answer is going to be I'm not sure, but I would want to spend like well before pro basketball, there's a semi-pro team, uh, the Boston Whirlwinds. I'd, I would want to look into, you know, if there's something that would re- you know recognize them. I think of the Hartford Whalers and the whaling industry that built um, – built up New England and wonder if the Boston Whalers would be a possibility. Um, I think back to, you know, is there something around the peach baskets that um, Dr. Neesmith built the game around? Is there something there? So I don't have an actual answer. I'm going to, just for a laugh, I'll say, let's go with the Boston Mass Holes. But um, (laughs) I'd want to take some time to really look at the history, because the history of the game is from the area and see if we could tie in one of the original elements of the game. But I, I honestly had less than five minutes to really think about it today because I was just packed at work. Okay. I got one for you. Um, now it's not necessarily, I, I didn't think about history of the game, which I probably should have, but there are some cities, um, like let's take Charlotte for instance. Uh, although now they are the Hornets, they went back to the Hornets, but when they were the Bobcats, um, they also had the, um, the Carolina Panthers and then like their transportation service was called cats. So there was like this major cat theme in the city. So I like when cities do something like that. Um, So I decided, well, you know, I want something that has some continuity with the Patriots. And I know this this sounds more like uh, a G League team, but I was thinking about American history. I think I would call them some variation of either the Midnight Ride or the Midnight Riders, uh, which is, of course, uh, a reference to Paul Revere. Yep. And um, I, you know, I know Paul Revere himself has been a little bit exaggerated and, and there were motives for writing that poem. Um, but as, as far as I know, that would be a safe choice. Although someone's probably going to message me saying something horrible that Paul <laughs> Revere did that I don't know about. But um, I would make the logo kind of a, a side profile on a horse mid stride. And it wouldn't be a very detailed horse either. It'd be very um, kind of sleek and modern. Uh, I don't know. Is that something as the Northeastern correspondent that you could get behind, or am I just uh, an out-of-touch Floridian here? Uh, you're on to something, but the whole Paul Revere thing is so <laughs> overstated that I don't know that I could get behind a Paul Revere, but something around the colonial times, the Boston Colonials, or something something referencing that. In the Yeah, I, I could get behind that, but I don't know if I can get behind Paul Revere. Or some sleek, sleek horse makes me think like <laughs> 90s Detroit Pistons Mustang look, and I'm not sure I'm down with that either. But you're on to, I think I like the theme. I like the, the area that you're in. So I have to confess, um, I, I do love me some American history, and I bought a 76ers shirt, and that pains me to even say it, but it's the alternate logo that they rarely use of Ben of a cartoon Ben Franklin dribbling a basketball. Yep. I yep. I just had to have that shirt. Um, it's hard to wear it though because people, if they know it's a Sixers shirt, then I have to explain like, no, I'm actually a hardcore Pacers fan. And anyway, though, I had to have that shirt. So I do I do own one Philadelphia 76ers shirt as much as it pains me to say that. All right. Um, the next question comes from late '90s B ball on Instagram. Justin asks, what is your worst hobby habit? What is your worst hobby habit? 
Um, there's two. One is just checking eBay late at night when I really don't need to be on eBay. Just impulse control is limited there. And related to that is as I've tried to really be more mature about collecting and be more focused and consolidate and be mindful of, you know, finances and everything, I really miss meal days. I miss, and I part of it's the pandemic, Kyle. Like I was sitting mm-hmm. home working from home and I'd hear that the clang of the mailbox every damn day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I buy stuff just for a mail day. Like I just want to get something in the mail and open it up. And then I'm kind of like you with your your patch. Like <laughs> I don't love this car, but I wanted to. I want to come home from work and like I get that little delivery notification on eBay and I get that adrenaline rush and it makes me happy. So buying stuff just for the sake of a mail day is um is my worst hobby habit right now. Yeah, sometimes collecting just for the process more than the end result. Um, And I'll tell you what, what irritates me more than anything is when all of my packages show up on Monday. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like I'll order four things and it's like, all right, in theory, these should all be spaced out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And lo and behold, they they all come on Monday. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, All right. Last question. This one comes from Tasty Card Sandwich on Instagram. And I apologize because I don't know their first name. But the question was good, though says, when is Steve going to start his own podcast or YouTube? Occasional guest appearances are not enough. The world needs more Sholi. Um, I don't think the world needs more Sholi, but the honest answer, and this is where I can you know, give you a little kudos and all the other content creators, it's not happening because I don't have time. Like I know I have a sliver of insight into what you put into this, Kyle, or the guys at Pack to the Future, or any of the contest, content creators that I follow and engage with. I mean... I've got multiple jobs, two kids. I'm, you know, I've, I have other hobbies. I'm lucky that my wife, you know, is allowing me to lock myself in a room right now to record with you. And I'm not going to do any of the editing. I didn't do any of the prep, right? Um, (laughs) So life gets in the way. I, me and my hobby friends in the area, we do joke about it, but then we, one day we sat down and just looked at like what it would take. And even if you just say it's, you know, five hours of you know, time start to finish. That's that's five hours every week. And, and part of what makes you successful and the other content creators is the consistency behind it. It's not like you can throw something out there randomly and have it really consumed and enjoyed by others. It's, you know, every week you're putting something out there and to really build it, then you do your YouTube and you got how many Instagram accounts you have? I think 18 at this point, right? That so feels like um, it, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's, so it takes a lot of time. And honest, I tasty. I appreciate the positive feedback, but... Um, recognize the and I, I wish there was more content creators but i know personally i just don't have have it in the bag right now so i will just continue to do my guest appearances when called upon from kyle i will say though every once in a while you you and, and another guy that's good about this is ryan mind cycle cards you'll rattle off like a and just in an awesome 15 minute video and just put it on your yeah. instagram and there's uh the the content creator in me is thinking oh that that needs to be on a youtube uh, we need to get that on a YouTube, but uh, it's out there regardless where you guys can find it. So Steve does a really good job of uh, there will be some more long, you know, some long form, according to Instagram standards, I guess, long form videos that uh, you'll want to watch out for from time to time when he does get something really nice in. All right, Steve. Well, um, I've enjoyed chatting with you as always. I know you mentioned you're locked in the room. I don't want to get you in trouble here. You've been on this show many times before. You know the drill. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts or promote anything that you're working on right now or anything you're looking for even. 
Right now, um, everyone knows I collect Jay Crowder cards, and I think you probably have a pile of Crowder cards that people want to file <laughs> file my way via you. <laughs> I do. But, I need to send um, them to you. You know, always looking for the rare stuff. Um, you know, and like I say, every time I'm on, I love engaging with the hobby. It's 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 my outlet. I'll usually hop on Instagram for like five minutes at a time in between like stressful moments of work. So definitely feel free to reach out. I'll never turn down a request to talk. And I think my only plug is. For the first time ever, and perhaps the only time ever, um, I will be at National this year, um, going down with some some of my local friends. We got an Airbnb down there. I'll be there at least Friday and Saturday for the show. Um, not sure exactly how many days I'm gonna get away from the family and attend the show versus just sort of go down and relax at the beach house for a day as well. But um, we'll be down at the National definitely Friday and Saturday at a minimum, if not also Thursday. So definitely look forward to meeting people there and, and reach out if you're gonna be in the area course the one time that i'm not going here uh you decide to make your way to the national but that's life sometime i'll make my way to one of those boston shows maybe the the finway show or whatever else you guys have going on up there as always steve thanks again appreciate it bud all right guys hopefully you enjoyed that conversation as well maybe there was something that either one of us said that resonated with you you can find steve's handle in the title Feel free to reach out to me on social media as well. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www waxmuseumpodcast.com In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.